thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. So good uh, to be back to worship with you guys uh, this morning. We love being out by the campsite last Sunday, and uh, we were right there on the river and being able to, to worship with you guys. And, and, and I listened to Dominic, who did such an incredible job uh, preaching last week, but he finished the wall. Like I was gone for one week, preaching this thing for months, and he done finished the wall, but he did a great job doing so. And it's so good uh, to be back with you. I want to give you a real quick picture of what this past week has looked like uh, for, for me in my house this week. And this is a pretty honest description of what it looks like to come back camping when kids get sick on a camping trip. And what it takes to preach on a Sunday morning after you come back from a camping trip. And here's the eardrops with throat infections and everything else. I I love it. I've been at the doctor for the past uh, few days. And listen, I've had so many shots in my hind end just to be able to preach uh, this steroid shots and antibiotic shots. And and they also put me on some more steroids. Y'all ever had a pack that looked like this where you... And here, here's the deal. I asked the doctor going in. I had such a bad throat infection, ear infections. I said, hey, what are some of the side effects? I'm getting a lot of steroids, and, and I've not done that in a long time. And, and so she shared with me, and I looked up some of the side effects of steroids. And you ready? Here are the top few, okay? Here are the top three or four side effects of steroids. Number one, weight gain. <laughs> like I've never struggled there. Anyway, here, here's another one. You ready? insatiable hunger, being hungry all the time. That's awesome. Here's my favorite. You may sweat a lot. Like, I need that on a Sunday morning. So maybe for the first time I'll sweat as I preach this Sunday morning. And then my favorite is they make you emotional. I just say that to say, I don't know where we're going together today. I don't know how we're going to get there, but just buckle up and maybe somehow we'll still make much of Jesus. And these last few messages... In Nehemiah, we are focused in on the movement of God, the moving of God among the people of God. Today, in the text, we are going to find, yes, that vision is accomplished, the ribbon-cutting ceremony is done, and the walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. I love this famed saying from Hudson Taylor, the the great Chinese missionary who had reached hundreds of thousands of Chinese with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen to what he said. He said, I have found there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. And then it is done. And isn't that the truth? Haven't we seen that played out in the life of Nehemiah? Nehemiah navigated the impossible only to learn and to experience that the God we serve is the God of the impossible. Nehemiah was confronted with great difficulty on on multiple levels, yet remained faithful to God, the people, and the vision. And now it is done. Vision, yes, is accomplished. And now it is time for the many who had been exiled from Jerusalem under the Babylonians. You ready? To come home. Today in Nehemiah, church, it's time for a homecoming. Now, although the vision was accomplished, there was still a mission that had to continue. It would be a mission that would prove even harder 
than the reconstruction of the wall, for it was a mission to rebuild, to restore, and to redeem the people of God. Think of it. In Nehemiah chapter 7, there's two types of people who would be a part of this homecoming. There were the, the brave families that helped Nehemiah rebuild the walls, who were very weary, who were wearied from starvation and intimidation, inflation, taxation, predation, and all that other stuff in between. And then you had exiles outside of Jerusalem and Judah who were living comfortable lives in other Persian communities but we're not able to worship and to serve God in Jerusalem together like those in their past had done, like their families had done a generation ago, and like God had intended them to do. And the question becomes, why would any exile accept the invite to go back to Jerusalem? What would attract people living comfortable lives in the far reaches of the, the Persian Empire to show up for a homecoming? What would entice the people who rebuilt the wall under such difficult circumstances to stay? Would it be merely a rebuilding effort? Would it be nostalgia? Or was there something more? You see, in Nehemiah chapter 7 today, we uncover what brought back so many of the exiles to Jerusalem and what kept them there. You'll be surprised. It wasn't a new building project. It wasn't an upgrade in the fog machines or, or the lights or a coffee bar out front of the temple. There was something more. Today, we camp out in a chapter that if you were to read Christian scholars and commentaries, that a lot of people just simply overlook. In the books that I bought that I read in preparation for the sermon series, really none of them did anything with chapter 7 in Nehemiah. But this chapter, it, in, it intrigues me. With the question of why anyone would come back home to Jerusalem, why would anybody show up to this homecoming? And I'm going to give you one good reason. That is evident throughout the whole book of Nehemiah. And that is simply this, that God was at work in Jerusalem. God was at work. You say, why would anybody show up? Why would there ever be someone respond to a homecoming? Because God was at work in Jerusalem. This is clear in Nehemiah chapter 7. You know, there's an old Experiencing God Bible study. Anybody ever do the Experiencing God Bible study? I did. One of my favorite phrases in there in context and conversation of the will of God was this, find out where God is moving and join him there. Find out where God is moving and join him there. Why would the people want to go back to Jerusalem? Because God was at work there. God was moving in Jerusalem. And I love this in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. Nehemiah recounts, after the wall had been rebuilt, and we must stop there. Let's not lose sight for a moment of the wonder, of the factual, the historical, this incredible statement. The wall was rebuilt. It was both a move and a miracle of God that this was accomplished. The wall that had lied in ruins for nearly 100 years at the hands of the Babylonians was now strong and it's now fortified. Through the vision God had planted in Nehemiah's heart, God moved the heart of a pagan king to not only allow the rebuild, but to finance it. 
The Lord even thwarted the plans of Nehemiah's enemies in chapter 5. Nehemiah and the builders of the wall sacrificed so much. They were under great pressure, under assault, under hardship to build the wall. And yet, they were in it together, involved in a God-sized vision and a God-sized work. You see, Nehemiah and those wall builders... We're in it for more than just to make Jerusalem economically and socially and politically and militarily strong. They worked really hard for a homecoming one day. A place where the people of God could worship the one true God in the city of God, in the very house of God, with the people of God. And how do we know that to be true? Watch what happens here. After the wall had been rebuilt, Nehemiah recounts, and I had set the doors in its place, that last piece of the puzzle, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. Now, gatekeepers were a necessity. They were there to protect the city from attack, an important role. And what we find here in verse 1, the two things are clear, that Jerusalem is still under a grave threat. But here's the second thing that's clear. That the worship of God was still the greatest priority for Nehemiah. For think of this, you ready? Jerusalem didn't get new walls for people to simply just come and look at. The walls were built so that the people of God could worship God in an even greater way. As soon as the walls were done, the first order of business here in Nehemiah was worship. Evidenced by what? The Levites, who were the worship leaders of that day, and the musicians were among the very first to be appointed. Because here's what we know, you ready? Where God is at work, the people worship. Where God is at work, people worship. Do y'all remember maybe back in the day? Now, Connect Church, we don't have physical bulletins that you hold. But maybe if you were raised in church, you'll remember physical bulletins that you used to hold in your hand. We're pretty much all digital now. I think it's a, a wise, you know, a stewardship for us because paper and ink cost a lot of money. But remember those old bulletins? I want to speak a word about worship, but before we do, man, can I share with you some really big bulletin mistakes that I found online? These are... Listen, I have hundreds of them now, just so you know. But I'm going to share with you some of my favorite. These are actual misprints, mistakes made in church bulletins. Here's the first one. You ready? Scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. (laughs) Guys, I don't know if I can get behind that cause. right? I don't know. I love that one. Here's another one. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. <laughs> How many are there? You know, it's a tough days for churches. Here's another bulletin mistake. Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 to 8.30 p.m. Please use the back door. <laughs> that hurts. Uh, I love this one here. I think we have one more. Ushers will eat latecomers. <laughs> I think that's supposed to mean greet, but I bet you nobody shows up late to that church, right? Hey, let, let, me, let me say a word on worship real quick. <laughs> um, I think that there has been a grave disservice done in the church in America. A grave mistake that can even be seen in a church bulletin. 
where we label and mark only singing as the time of worship, failing to realize that it is, it's all worship. It's all worship from the, the gathering together is commanded in Hebrews 10.25 to the singing of praises to God like Jesus did in Matthew 26 to being not only hearers but doers of the words as we're challenged in James chapter 1 to serving in the body of Christ as we're reminded to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to being generous and cheerful givers as is said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to taking care of the least of among of us. The least of these as seen in Matthew chapter 25. Hear me, church. Worship was never just meant to be singing. Although singing is a powerful tool by which we can worship the Lord. I love this in Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new psalm. His praise in the assembly of the godly. What a powerful tool of worship. But for Nehemiah, worship looked like this. It looked like faithfulness to the vision God had put on his heart to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah, time and time again, we saw worship the Lord in his prayer life, in his service as cupbearer to the king, and then his first generation general contractor, and then as governor. He worshiped the Lord by taking care of the injustice he saw in chapter 5. He worshiped by leading well. He worshiped with bravery. He worshiped through wisdom. He worshiped the Lord with it all and all that he had in every arena of his life. You see, Paul would make clear exactly what type of worship this is. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he would say, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch this in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Hey, church, here we see that worship is motivated by the goodness and the greatness of our God as seen in Jesus, the cross, and the empty grave, the very view of the mercies of God. We see worship that is found in more than just singing, but in the living out of life as well. The picture of worship is a daily dying to sin and self and living for Christ. This is what worship looks like. Singing is wonderful, but it is easy. Living worship is hard, but also rewarding. And also, this is where the world takes notice. Our Connect kids right now are downstairs. And if you listen careful enough, right about the time I start preaching, right somewhere, right over here, music will start bleeding through the floor. Now, some people are like, I can't sit. Listen, I love to hear it when I'm up here. Because you know what? My babies are downstairs worshiping Jesus. Your babies are downstairs worshiping Jesus. There's a tagline in our worship time with Connect Kids, and here's what the tagline is. You ready? Worship isn't just singing loud. It's living loud. And isn't that good? Worship isn't just singing loud. It's living loud. And you know what's amazing? Is we find that where God is at work, the people they worship, and we continually see Nehemiah and the people of God. In worship, in chapter 7, there was another area of worship 
where we see that God was at work, and that was in the leadership. In verse number two, Hanani, the brother of Nehemiah, the one who was kind of proactive and showed that initial concern that the walls are broken in Jerusalem and thus brought it back to Nehemiah. I mean, we got we to do something about this. Well, Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother, was appointed by Nehemiah as governor and in charge of Jerusalem. Some of you are like, that's nepotism. Don't you do that. And yet, Hananiah was qualified. And here at Connect Church, we don't believe you should ever work with your family. Anyway, there's another godly leader, Hananiah, who was appointed commander of the citadel because the two qualifications Nehemiah reminds us of of him. He was a man of integrity, and I love this, that he feared God more than most. You see, God works through good and godly leadership. And here in chapter 7, it looks as if the right ingredients are in place, that God is at work, godly leadership is in place, and the worship of God is of greatest priority. And now it's time to send out the invites. Now it is time for a homecoming. But will the people come? This past Easter, I mean, God moved incredible ways here in the life of Connect Church. One of my favorite stories coming out of Easter came from one of our Connect kids. You see, this idea of just worshiping not only by singing but outside the building and how we live it was something he kind of put to the test. We gave everybody little invites to Easter. And, man, he took one to his coach. And, and I love this Facebook post. It says this from his coach. Recently, I've been wanting to find a church family. Well, today, one of my sweet players, Max, came to practice, handed me this card, and asked, would you like to come to our church? It was like a smack in the face. God basically said, here's your sign. And he sent the sweetest kid to deliver it. And she wrote, well played. Well played. You know what? Just like it was at Easter, it's time here in Nehemiah chapter 7 to send out the invites. And here's what we find in verse 5, what Nehemiah does. He says, so my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been in the first to return. And he starts reading over the invite list of all those who are, who are exiled, who are listed in Ezra chapter 2. And man, the invites begin to go out. And thus, you know what takes place? Homecoming. Verses 4 through 73 share the account of over 49,942 people returning to Jerusalem to live. They were comprised of some 18 families or clans from 20 different towns and villages. Now, although this number was roughly 2% of those exiled, these pioneers, these pilgrims risked it all to be where God was moving and to worship the one true God. Hey, life was easier in Persia? Oh, but it was better in Jerusalem. This is the second time, by the way, that this list of people, these families, these pioneers, where they are actually listed in the Bible, first in Ezra chapter 2, and then again in Nehemiah chapter 7. These are the pioneers who had laid down roots for over 70 years in Babylon and yet returned to Jerusalem, setting aside comfort 
and enduring hardship to do so. Their names, their families, their service, their generosity, all etched in eternity, forever enshrined in the Word of God that will never fade. Hey, by the way, this is exactly what happens when God is at work and His people worship. The chapter ends, Nehemiah chapter 7, in verses 70 through 73 where the people, as they come back in to this home, coming into Jerusalem, begin to give generously to the work of God in Jerusalem. They were worshiping the Lord through generosity. And we see throughout this entire chapter proof that where God is at work and when his people worship, then those people who long had been far away come back home. You see, unlike Nehemiah chapter 7, the church today is not experiencing a homecoming, but an exodus. People in America are leaving the church, and many for good reasons. You know, four out of every ten people in America would say that the reason I'm not in a church anymore is because I've been hurt by the church or somebody in the church has hurt me. Many mark that church is just no longer a, a priority in their, in their life. Many said, just don't, I don't need the church anymore in my life. Today, according to Barna, unlike any other generation before us, one in every four American identifies himself as a practicing Christian, which means they, they view faith as important in their life, and they at least went to church once this past month. Just a quarter of our nation Juxtapose that to the 100,000 population of Sevier County, and that's where we get our math a little bit, that 75,000 people more than likely are no one's church today. And this expresses, this message expresses a desire to see what happened in Nehemiah chapter 7, the desire to see a homecoming for all the dislocated, the displaced, the disconnected, the discouraged, the exiled followers of Christ in our community. It's my prayer that our our church will be one of many churches in our community with our doors wide open, our hearts wide open, our eyes wide open, and our arms wide open to anyone with a broken heart, a broken past, a broken story, ready to scream not only with our words, but with our actions, welcome home. But how does this type of homecoming happen? What happens when you, me, join God where he's moving and we worship him there? Not just with our Sundays, but with our everyday. Not with just some of it, but all of it. People come home when God is at work and it is evidenced in more than just our words and our songs but it's evidenced in our lives. May the prayer and the desire of our hearts be that God would allow us to see a homecoming of the lost and the broken and the hurt and the wounded, the unchurched and the de-churched, church haters and everybody in between. A couple weeks ago, I asked a couple ladies to come to our staff meeting at our church offices. You see, these ladies are leaders of a ministry called Deeper Still. And listen, the whole heart behind 
the deeper still ministry is to minister to moms and dads who are what they call abortion wounded, where abortion has been a part of their story. They do retreats for them, and, and they do Bible studies. And, and listen, we, we want to be, and we want to offer those resources in the life of our church. So we just sat down and heard their stories. Both ladies that sat in the room, the, the, the ones who run this ministry, both ladies had had abortions in their past. And I just got to sit down and listen to them. Because the question and the reason I brought them in is, is how is it that we can minister as a church to the abortion wounded in our community? One in every four women in America will have had an abortion as part of their story. Hey, by the way, one in four dads will have abortion as a part of their story as well. And you know what? I, I want to I see them find hope and restoration in Christ. And so, ladies, how can we get apart? So we had an incredible meeting. And they closed the meeting by saying that they were in one church where they were shocked at what the pastor prayed. I said, well, what did he pray? They simply said that he stood up on his pulpit, and he said one Sunday morning, and he prayed, God, would you send all the abortion wounded in our community to our church? And they said it took them back. And once they left, and our team began to, to talk more about partnering with them, and I just remember thinking how much of an impact that pastor's prayer had on me. That even as I stand here this morning, it is my prayer that every abortion-wounded mom and dad would find hope in Jesus and a home in his church. I want every sin-wounded man, woman, boy, and girl to find hope in Jesus and, and home in his church. Our churches must be places where people can sense and see and celebrate that God is moving and at work. A place where the lost are found and saved. Where the word of God is preached and the truth of God is celebrated. Where worship sinners and exalts God alone. Where the great commission is fulfilled. Where believers grow in their faith and are discipled. Where disciples make disciples who make disciples. Where our community and our world are impacted and believers live sent. And where does that begin, you ready? With you and me. Not just me. And not just you. But you and me. Hudson Taylor, I referenced him earlier, back in the 1800s. Incredible work on the Chinese mission field. I love what he said one time. I think I have this up here. Yes. He said, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, ease-loving men and women. The stamp of men and women we need is such as will put Jesus, China, and souls first and foremost in everything and at every time. Even life itself must be secondary. When will we see a homecoming of the 75,000 in nobody's churches this morning? is when we can own a statement and say, you know what, Sevier County is not to be won for Christ by quiet, ease-loving men and women. The stamp of men and women we need is such as will put Jesus, Sevier County, and souls first and foremost in everything and in every time. Even life itself must be secondary. That's when you and I will begin to see a homecoming like Nehemiah chapter Chapter 7. But yet, to date, 
We've not really seen it yet. Because I honestly believe that by and large, and we really don't desire it too much yet. I want to close with an inspiring statement from a vision-filled man who simply followed God where he was at work and worshipped him there. This is a, a Dorian Judson, a missionary, pioneer missionary to the Burmese people. He would take them the gospel. He would translate the Bible into their language. He had a heart to reach them, and he loved a people he knew very little about. Yet God was at work. And Judson, Adorian Judson would join him there and worship there. You see, as a young man, Adorian Judson, as he, as he ventured to minister and to bring the gospel to the Burmese people, cried out a simple statement that I love. And here's what he said. I will not leave Burma until the cross is planted here forever. You know what I think our community needs? You and me. To say, you know what? Man, I am not going to leave. I am not going to be satisfied until the cross is planted forever in this community. And not just on the churches, but in homes and marriages and in the lives of our kids and to those who are hurting and broken and wounded. You see, 30 years after the death of Adorian Judson, Burma had 63 Christian churches from 0 to 63, 163 missionaries, and over 7,000 who were saved and baptized. A hundred years later, on the anniversary of his death, there were more than 200,000 Burmese Christians. You see, Judson, at just a young age, in view of the mercy of God applied to his life through Jesus, offered his body, his life, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That was how he worshipped. And isn't it amazing what happens? When we join God, we're where he's moving. And we worship him there. And not just some of our life, but with all of our heart and all of our lives. You see, church, worship isn't just singing loud. It's living loud. And when we live loud, we'll begin to see people, some 75,000 of which in our community, start coming home again. And we'll have the joy to lead them to Jesus and to love them and to minister to them in Christ. There will be a homecoming when people see God at work and His church worship not only inside the building but outside the building as well. Let's pray together. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.